Mic check, mic check. Yo, yo, yo. All right, so we're going live. Grateful to be alive. I am your host. I go by the name of David the Psalmist. David the Psalmist. And this is episode one of the Phone Tapped Audio Experience. All right, so boom. Here's a quick 30-second breakdown of the idea behind this podcast. We live in a social media age, and let's be honest, privacy is a thing of the past. I know the government got my phone tapped for sure. Facebook and Instagram definitely tuned in right now as we speak. Oh, look, I just got a sponsored post. In other words, my life is under surveillance and they're watching my every move. Since they're listening anyway, I figured I'd invite you guys to the party and let you in on some amazing conversations that I've had with very inspiring people. On that note, my phone is officially tapped and we're going live. Yeah. Psalmist. I'm still out here with my brothers repping triple sevens My life goals had me looking up the triple felons My only plan was making music, not to speak with reverence But here I am, podcast with Dr. Myron Edmonds I got angels all around me in this very presence Yeah, I do I got angels all around me in this very presence Close your eyes and take a trip with me right up to heaven I think my phone tap Yeah can't even lie, I think my phone tap Oh snap, flow crack, this dope rap You haven't heard the truth in so long So let's go back, my phone tap Now go on social media and post that This episode is brought to you in part by Kellerworks, super dope company based out of Alabama The lady that founded the company had a son that suffered with eczema and she couldn't find any great products that really worked well with her son's skin condition. And you already know, no real mother ever wants to see their child suffer. So she took matters into her own hands, went on YouTube and started looking up how to make soap. After a lot of trial and error, eventually came up with a product that cleared her son's skin. And that's how her company started. Now she sells soap and oils all around the country. If you want to check that out, find out more about her story and support, go over to KellerWorks.com, especially if you have sensitive skin, and let them know that David Assam has sent you. Without further ado, man, let's get into today's episode. I am super excited about this one. Our guest today goes by the name of Dr. Myron Edmonds. He's the lead pastor at Grace Community Church in Cleveland, Ohio. And for all the fancy people on here, he holds the Doctor of Ministry degree in Family Ministries and Leadership Development and also is the author of two books, which I'm definitely going to ask him about. For the rest of you regular people like me, he is just overall a great dude. I'm a fun guy. Uh, I don't even know where you're sitting at. (laughs) Yo, shout out Kawhi. But most importantly, man, he's a great father and a great husband, down to earth, and he loves people. Let's see if he picks up. Yes, sir. Yo, what's going on? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, sir. I can hear you good. What's going on, Chief? Yo, first and foremost, I just want to say thank you, yo, so, so much for taking the time out. I know you're a busy man, but I appreciate you uh, hopping on the call and doing this with me. Hey, man, absolutely, man. Anytime, man. All right, so let's get right into it. I've gotten to know you a little bit, and I'm aware of the work that you do and some of the things that you have going on. But for the people who don't know, could you give us a quick 30-second intro into who you are, what you do, and how you spend your 24 hours? Yeah. 
Myron Edmonds is my name. Yep. I'm originally from the, the DMV, man, but I've been pastoring now for almost 19 years. Started out, basically I was pastoring in Tennessee. I had three churches there for seven years. And then in 2009, 2010, I moved here to Cleveland and I've been here for 10 years. <laughs> man, you clocked in a decade. Pastoring in Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland's yeah. rough, man. It's a tough place. You know, the Rust Belt, a lot of, um, you know, Industry jobs have left because of tech. And so it's a depressed city, man. It's, it's yeah. on an upswing, but I got a heart for it because uh, outside of LeBron James. But Uh-oh. Hey, now. Hey, listen, I am the biggest LeBron James fan, just like the next man. But it's a tough time being a fan of the Cleveland Cavaliers right now. Akron. But they're like, you know, Cleveland is like the city that, you know, it's always the brunt of people's jokes. You know, it's like they're a bunch of bad places to live. But it's like Cleveland right. always catches an L, man, for whatever reason. So I'm an underdog fan. And so I think right. I've kind of embraced the city right. because of the right. underdog. And then I've fallen in love with the people and the hood, trying to close this prison pipeline with these kids. So, you know, I mean, I... Yo, that's amazing. All right, one more sports question. Then we can get into everything else. What is your NBA Finals predictions for this year? Hot take. Man, I, you know, it's just hard. I mean, people are talking about the Clippers. I'm honestly, just on paper, I for think sure. it's... And if LeBron cannot win with this team, I'm willing to criticize him. You know, barring injury, loaded team. I couldn't agree more, man. All right, let's take this in a whole different direction. You just wrote a book, The Frustrated Leader. Could you tell me what the purpose of this book is? Ah! Yo, man. <laughs> I am a frustrated leader. <laughs> there you go. Hey, listen, yeah. this is my this is my autobiography, man. It's not an autobiography, but man, you know, one of the things I've noticed, man, especially in the church. Well, first of all, people are frustrated with church. Yes, they are. One hundred percent. Probably more so now than ever before. We are seeing a growing hostility uh, to the church. Uh, externally and internally, like we've never seen before. Uh, I've never seen this level of fatigue. Church attendance is down in many places. People are opting to watch online. People are using phrases like they're not religious, they're spiritual. And a lot of this stuff is, or they hate institutionalized religion. Let me tell you what all that's translation for. Man, I'm done with the church. I'm not feeling the church. I'm not feeling, not not this organized thing. I, I, so there's a, there, I think there's an angst. There's a frustration with the church because the church has let us down, man. <laughs> and the church has let us down in so many different areas. So there's already that frustration. But what I've also noticed, man, there's a lot of leaders, man, mm -hmm. who feel this thing. They're not, they're not, they're not status quo, man. They're not, yep. they're not like on chill mode. You know, they're not like, you know, unbothered. Yeah, man, there's a lot of leaders that I talk to on a regular basis. And this is who I wrote this book for, who God has given them a vision. But man, the, the, the pushback, the obstacles, systemic stuff, personal stuff, even their own issues hmm. and has them in a constant state of frustration. And a lot of these folks, man, have given in to frustration. Uh, they're paralyzed by it instead of recognizing, which which is something that I have learned. Right. And I, the secret, if there is a secret the book or a novel idea that frustration is a is an energy to be leveraged hmm. that it is the it's the it's the foundation for god doing great things wow it's the beginning point for um you know amazing solutions to problems and so what i liken it unto basically frustration is like the check engine light on your car okay 
you know, the check engine light, you know, and I tell the story in the book of how, you know, the check engine light came on. But I really got upset when I saw the check engine light because when I see the check engine light come on, I really don't see the check engine light. I see dollar signs. Talk about it. You know That's right. Oh, man. Boy, dang, I'm going to have to spend some money. I don't know what it is. You right. know, car problems. But what the check engine light is designed for, I mean, they, it's, it's designed to alert you that there is a problem. The check engine light's not the problem. That's good. It's not the problem. Right. It's just telling you, you need to take it in and see what the problem is, right? That's what frustration is. Frustration is not the problem. Like saying, I'm frustrated and, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, this, no, that's not the issue. What are you frustrated about? And I think we have, for the most part, as a people, and I'm talking about specifically as leaders, sometimes we get intellectually lazy to not critically think why we are as frustrated as we are. And so in the book, we talk about how to analyze that, how to solve that, how to respond to it, knowing when it's time to quit, knowing when it's time to stay in there, hmm. knowing when your frustration is personal, knowing when your frustration is based on other people, knowing when your frustration is a systemic or institutionalized thing. That's good. But all of it is an attempt to help us to understand that frustration is not the problem. It's an arrow. It's an alert sign saying, go look at the problem. And here's the good news. When you find the problem, Right. You typically will find a solution if you're a visionary leader. Man, this is good stuff. All right. So the book comes out in November and I just want to pull something from out of the book and maybe you can explain it a little bit more. Okay, so there's a sentence in a book where you're talking about leadership and you say, if you're not frustrated, there's something wrong. But if you're too frustrated, there's also something wrong. Can you build on that? Yeah. If you're not frustrated, then I question whether you are a visionary leader. 100%. Because the truth of the matter is you're a visionary leader. I can tell by what you're doing. I'm, I'm, I'm following your ministry and I'm just like, okay, praise God. this guy, he's thinking outside the box. He's seeing what could be. He's seeing problems that need to be solved. But, but you don't get a vision without getting angry. Right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? A vision, as, as best defined, most simplistically, it is a solution to a problem. Hmm. OK, so you got Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King. Um, the reason why the civil rights movement started, and I talk about this in the book, is he started off angry. He was angry at seeing how black people were treated as second class citizens. No cap. He got frustrated. Yep. And, and, and he's and so he had a dream. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. And so and so if, if you're a leader and there's no frustration, then I think you've run out of vision. Wow. That's good. And it's not wrong. Now, if you're too frustrated, if it's all frustration, there's something wrong. Right. So one of the sentences in the book is we have to invite balance at the table. Hmm. Like, how do I balance my frustration where it pushes me and doesn't paralyze me? Sheesh. All right. All right. Let me get the Amazon link. I'm trying to buy this book. All right. So before we transition, let's talk about Myra Edmonds, the leader. In an interview that you did with Frank Dent, you said when you were in college, you quickly shunned the idea of becoming a pastor. One of the reasons was because of the many problems that you saw your father going through as a pastor. But most importantly, you said, I'm going to get a degree in whatever field is going to help me get some paper. You know, what's the field out there that's going to help me get some some money? <laughs> Man, if you could speak on that a little bit, kind of what your mindset was at the time and just your whole journey into becoming a leader in your own space. Yeah, well, here's the truth. Uh, you know, I was talking to my dad the other day, actually. And, you know, one of the things he was pointing out, he was like, dude, you were always a leader, always. Before you were a pastor, you were, you know, I, had the, I got the leadership gene, man. I got it, honestly, both my mom and dad, both leaders. Wow. Um, I got that kind of personality. But, you know, 
I, I didn't know. I knew I always wanted to lead and I was a leader. I just didn't know if I wanted to pastor. Right. You know, and so, of course, you know, as you said, it was it was more or less. Man, I saw the real side of pastoring. Now, see, there's a lot of people, man, who go into pastoral ministry because they go in for the glitz, the glam, the shine. That's right. Being able to have people that, you know, you can lead and people you preach to. That ain't why I did it, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Man, because I saw the other side. I saw the real deal. I saw the frustration that my father went through, the pain, the agony, uh, dealing with people, burying people, dealing with. Uh, problem members and dealing with your own insecurities and the ups and downs, the spiritual warfare, the roller coaster, you know, that, that whole thing and and what it does to your family, even too, man, Mm. like ministry is an occupational hazard for your family. That's good. Cause you're all, your family's always competing with your time and, and mixing up your time with God's time. And, you know, if I infringe on my daddy, am I infringing on on God or is this, you know, and so right, right. It, it, it can be tumultuous for a family, man. Hmm. And so, man, I just didn't want any of that because I've been through it and I was really wanting some money, man. Okay. I'm saying, look, if I'm going to be stressed out, honest, real talk, because it's stress in every job, right? Right, right. And especially in leadership, like there's always stress, right? But I'm saying if I'm going to go through it, man, at least at least your boy could be making six, seven figures while he's at it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That'll sweeten the pot just a little bit. Oh, yes, it will. People talk about money don't make you happy. Uh, money don't make you happy when you already a millionaire. I know that's right. Money don't make you money do make you happy when you don't have nothing. <laughs> Man, what? That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. So I kind of want to stay here because I think that's good. A lot of people in our generation are driven for success. They don't want to just see what they see on Instagram. They want to live it. They want to have it. They want to feel it. And they're possessed with an I have to win mentality. Some people, though, and not everybody, but some people still hear a voice in their head that's calling them to a different purpose you know yeah man this is a good one right here I, again i'm gonna use that term that we just used when we talked about frustration having too much having too little right there's a word called balance and let me so a lot of what i'm also seeing is i'm seeing people not recognizing that there's a grind right that is necessary there's a process that's necessary to get to where you're going and i do think that there is sort of this immediate gratification kind of mindset this entitlement spirit that's kind of running rampant in generations that's right where people want it and they want it now right instead of realizing that sometimes to get where you are trying to go there are some things that you got to do in order to do what you want to do you got to say that uh, one more say, time let me say that one more time brother let yeah. me say it for the people in the back <laughs> right yeah, right yeah sometimes Please. you got to do what you got to do now let's say what you want to do so that eventually you can do what you want to do. That's right. You know, so, so what I mean by that is, is like, sometimes you may have to be a waitress at a job. I don't know who I'm talking to. Somebody might be there. Sometimes you might have to wait tables. Yeah. You know, sometimes you may have to stay on that job, that, that corporate job that, uh-huh. you, that you want to like, you know, you want to quit that job and you want to pursue a ministry idea or a concept. So there is the balance of a plan, of a strategy, of a process, yeah. exercising wisdom, right? Right. Then the flip side of that also is, is there are many of us who are paralyzed by fear. Hmm. paralyzed by our own insecurities. We're paralyzed of not knowing what we're going to do if we don't have a paycheck or so forth and so on. For sure. And I want to talk to that person out there that God has already given you instructions that you need to step out in faith, that you need to step out and do what God told you to do. You have different people who are in different seasons and they need to hear something different. But I don't think it's the same thing for everybody. Some people need to stay where they are until God tells them to move. And then there are some people need to move when God tells them to move. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. A hundred percent. 
All right. So just when we jumped off this conversation, one of the first things that you said is that you grew up in the DMV. So we have similar roots. I spent a big portion of my childhood in Maryland in PG County, Tacoma, Laurel. I'm sure you're familiar with the area. And you've always been open and sharing stories of your family life growing up. There was two things that I found out about you that I really wanted you to speak on. All right. So you mentioned that you are the only biological child out of five from your parents and your brothers and sisters are all adopted. And so the other thing that completely blew my mind was your mom recalling that in your upbringing, you had over 70 people living in and out of your household. And we're not talking about college students and missionaries, goody two-shoes, your aunt and uncle. We're talking about homeless people and thugs that your parents were getting off the streets. Pookie and Ray Ray, alcoholics, addicted to drugs, you name it, you saw it. Talk to me about what that was like for you firsthand. Man, it's crazy. You know, it's, it's funny, you know how people say, you know, you hear athletes say this all the time, or people who actually made it and they start making money, right. they'll be like, man, I didn't know I was poor when I was poor. You right. know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> it's not until you look back. And man, That's right. you know, when I say that stuff now, I was the only biological child out of five. Man, we wow. had upwards of 70 people in and out of our house wow. living with us, man, over the course of the like, what in the world were my parents thinking? Like that is amazing. You know, like it was definitely not conventional wisdom that you bring drug addicts and AIDS victims and former prostitutes and alcoholics and hmm. you know people with a you know, a bad reputation into your home. Right. You know, my mom's an attorney. My dad was a preacher. Hmm. If I didn't have that experience, man, I think I would have turned out to be an entitled, middle class, lukewarm, out of touch, African-American kid who grew up to think that life was all about graduating from college, getting the dream job, having the pretty wife and the good looking kids and right. the, the big house. and all. That experience, man, shaped me wow. for the passion that I have for people, man. That's good. That's what made me a preacher. I, You know, I didn't, I, a pastor, I should say. I didn't go into pastoring because I loved preaching. There are a lot of people who go in who are pastors and they're really just preachers. Right. You know what I'm saying? They like That's to right. preach, but they don't people. That's Legit, right. bro. I love people, yeah. yo. I love all kinds of people. I'm That's comfortable good. in the hood. I'm comfortable with the drug addict. I'm yep. comfortable with the college uh, graduate. Yep. I'm yep. comfortable with that because of my experience. And I realized that that upbringing, man, was shaping in me a love and a passion mm. for people. And especially being able to have front row seats, seeing God change people's lives, yo. Wow. Like the first place I saw God change people's lives was not at church. Mm. I saw it in my home at Friday night, man. Every Friday night, and my mom and dad would invite people off the streets, man. This is how my brother wow. who came to live with us, came to live with us, man. We invited him over to come and eat, man. And he ended up staying for the rest of his life. My mom wow. worked at Section 8 Housing Authority, passing out food stamps, getting people set up you know, to get their section eight. And we, this kid comes in, his mom's dying of AIDS. And my mom is like, yo, do you want to come over? He comes over, spends the rest of his life there. Bro, my that's amazing. Were, they were demonstrating discipleship, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, 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 not the church stuff, but the real stuff. And that's good. That's why I'm here, man, because I saw that and I said, man, I can do that. Hmm. And, I, and, you know, I'm a sucker for it too, man. I right. mean, Seeing people's lives change, bro, is just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no better feeling, man, yeah. than to see somebody start at zero, man, and God turn their life around. You know, I, I saw people, man, the first time I saw somebody use drugs, man, was in my mm -hmm. at home in the garage, bro. Sheesh. And so they went from using heroin to smoking cigarettes. And so church people would look at them and say, what are you doing smoking cigarettes? You know, it's not good for your body. And that's, you know, exactly. body's a temple. 
and they're judging them. And I'm like, you don't even know this dude was strung out on heroin. That's a victory. He can, he can, he can have a, he can step outside and have a smoke all day. I'm praising God for his journey, for the progress. You feel me? A hundred percent. Yo, man. That, I mean, I, I know I've said a lot, but that's no, honest, man. Yeah, that's my upbringing, man. Gave me a love for people. That's right. For all people, and especially a love for and a sucker for and a fiend to see lives changed. That's that's what my upbringing did. Wow, this is just incredible stuff, bro. I like it when you said people came on crack and they left on Christ. And I think right here is a great segue because our entire lives were taught that the good guys go to heaven. The good people will be blessed. The good people will have nice looking families. And, you know, you know a whole lot more about the Bible than I do. But when I read, it's like Jesus was around prostitutes. He was around liars. He was around cheaters, drunks. He was really around a lot of the low lives in society, quote unquote. And it's almost like Jesus couldn't stand people who didn't think that there was anything wrong with themselves. So if you could just speak on that really quickly and maybe even as a pastor, if there's still things that you struggle with and you're still working on and you still need grace for today. Yeah, man. Look, God is attracted to weakness. Yeah, That's the issue. The reason why Jesus had so much conflict with the church when he got here is because they thought spirituality was um, basically a track is a track meet, right. you know, it was, it was about merit. Mm-hmm. It was about performance. Mm-hmm. It was about, uh, you know, the, I can imagine them saying that, you know, that you're spiritual, the least amount of problems that you have. That's right. However, as you so articulately pointed out, yeah. Christ didn't gravitate towards them. He gravitated towards people who were weak. Paul says this. Paul says, he said, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The less I have, the more I have. The, the more I'm dependent on God, the more free I am. Uh, the weaker I am, the stronger I am. Everything is upside down in the kingdom. And I think we have done a poor job in giving people the impression that, that God is looking for good people, hmm. but he's not. The Bible says there's nobody that is good. No, not one. Bible says, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. So that salvation is something that God does for me, not something that I do for him. It's something that I accept and that I receive. And there's so many people out there I know that are listening right now, and they struggle with the guilt and the shame of feeling like they don't measure up. But the truth of the matter is, is that's exactly what God's looking for. He's looking for a person who gets hopeless, who gets helpless, and who gets to a place where they say, uh, you know, without him, this to me, this is what the gospel is. This is John 14, 15. The gospel, without him, I can do nothing. Without him, I can do nothing. That's the gospel right there. That's good news. So I don't take any credit for what I'm doing because it's by grace that I've been saved through faith and that of myself. It is a gift from God. It's a gift, something he gave me, not something that I earned. It's not something that I worked for. Keep going. The Bible even goes so far to say in the book of Romans, he says, he said, listen, man, he said, by the works of the law, will no flesh be justified. Explain In that. other words, man, by my behavior, I cannot make myself righteous. I'm not going to be justified or made right before God because I did something good. The truth is, even our goodness is that filthy rag. That's right. That's right. We don't have good days. We have grace days. That's good. We have days where we're covered by his righteousness. And honestly, man, I feel that I'm particularly called to preach that message, yeah. to preach the good news of the gospel, that it's not up to me, it's up to him. You know, this whole situation, you're in Dallas, right? 
I'm in Dallas. That's right. Oh man. So this whole situation with Bob and uh, 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 John and right. all the stuff that's been going on, of course, right. the act of forgiveness that created so much controversy yep. on the internet. And I'll be the first to say, but there were a lot of things that happened in that courtroom that made me uncomfortable. Right. But I will also say this, and I'm not speaking for the judge. I'm not speaking for the, the, the bailiff that was stroking the girl's hair. But what I can say is about that young man who forgave Amber Geiger, right? Can you imagine that? Well, that, that should make us feel uncomfortable because that's what the cross does. And then, you know what somebody said to me, man, just, yeah. and this was kind of, I had kind of kept my peace. I hadn't said anything on social media, but I, I want people to hear this. This is what kind of catapulted me out of my, um, out of my silence on the issue. Right. Is when I heard somebody say that forgiveness is not forgiveness unless somebody repents first. Hmm. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not Bible. Right. That's the enemy. Enemy wants us to think that we have to earn forgiveness. Christ said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgiveness yeah. had been extended to us. Revelation says that he was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. In other words, he had decided that he was going to die for us, forgive us, make the provision of salvation and forgiveness available to us before we had even come into existence, yeah. before Adam and Eve sinned. So, no, I don't earn forgiveness. Forgiveness is not something that I earn. Forgiveness is something that's given to me, and then I can either accept it or reject it, but it's always going to be there. The Bible wow, says in Romans 2.4 that it's the kindness of God that leads me to repentance. In other words, God, God shows forgiveness towards me. He shows mercy towards me. He shows grace towards me. And that act inspires me to say, man, I got to repent. That's a word. So repentance does not perceive forgiveness. It's the other way around. Forgiveness precedes repentance, and that I repent after I've been forgiven. Is it not important that our people know the gospel, the good news, that it's not about what we are doing, it's all about what he's doing, and everything we do is just a response to his love? I think it's important. Yo, I think it's very important, and I like what you said, that it's not only what he's doing that inspires our love, but it's what he's already done. Man, if you don't mind, I only have two more questions, and then we'll let you get back to what you were doing. So we know you as a pastor, you're well-renowned, you speak all over the world, about to be the author of two books. And you know, there's another verse that I like a lot. It says, your gifts will put you in the presence of great men. And there's an interesting little duality that happens with people who could be used by God in a great way. And a lot of lives are changed by it. But on the reverse, you could still struggle with your own personal demons and struggles. So something that really attracted me to your message was uh, you're well-documented and talking about your own personal eight-year battle with pornography and that was happening while you were a pastor man if you don't mind if you could just speak on that and for someone on here who's trying to shake the chains of addiction if you could just give any piece of advice to help somebody get free wow yeah i mean and that's why i said what and that's why you know that's why i made that point it's not just what god has done it's what he's doing because if people are honest with themselves you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand. You have to be really dishonest with yourself to assume that you deserve anything God does. Wow. Because even though you may have given your life to him at some point, you know, right now your life ain't all together. That's right. And the fact that he's still, you know, the Bible talks about is because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Yeah. Hallelujah. His compassions, they fail not. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new to us every morning. Amen. You know, we're benefiting from God's mercy, and we have not had good days. We have not had good moments. Our natures are corrupt. And so, man, you know, talking about this pornography struggle that I have had, and it is an ongoing battle. The reason why I'm not ashamed to say that is because lust is the root of pornography. 
hundred percent. And honestly, man, brother, it's hard out in these streets keeping a pure mind, bro. That's right. I mean, I don't know who needs to hear this right Talk now. But, and I'm not trying to make a, give a license for sin, but I'm telling you, as an ordained pastor who pastors a congregation who is married happily, ain't nothing wrong with my marriage. My marriage is great. But I'm telling you, man, lust is real. Yeah, yeah. And it's a battle that I'm constantly fighting, man, on right. a regular basis to remain pure. You know, the Bible says by beholding, we become changed. Like, my nature is corrupt, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? This is that. Look, I tell people all the time, you know, it's amazing how. You know, when we were kids, man, we learned all these memory verses, man. We went to vacation Bible school. You remember all that stuff. Right. Man, when I was struggling with porn, man, I mean, I, I saw one video when I was like seven or eight years old and couldn't get that video out of my mind. Wow. And it's amazing, man, how evil, you know, sticks in our brain. Yeah. But the good stuff is like, you know, like our brains are like Teflon to it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can't remember no scripture, man. That's a fact. So... Man, I think what I want people to understand is, is they need to understand the necessity for being vulnerable and being broken. This is the, what is helping me in my recovery and my victory is remaining, remaining in a recovery mindset, right? So the recovery mindset says, man, listen, man, I am, I am going to talk about this. Yeah. I'm going, I'm going to have, be in accountability relationships. I'm a part, I'm still a part of two accountability groups. Wow. I'm going to get counseling because why? I don't trust myself. Mm-hmm. And see, I'm never going to put myself in a position where I, you know, people love to, they love to say stuff like this. I, I don't do this anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I, I, you know, that is behind me now. I am above that. Well, yeah, maybe, I, you know, I may not be looking at porn, right? But come on, man, is is we walking around here pure? Talk about is it. We, is, is we keeping our eyes forward all the time? You know what I'm saying, man? Look, like you know, come on, let's be real with ourselves and 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 recognize that we are not as strong as we think we are, hmm. and that's why again, I go back to Paul. Paul said, "It's when we're weak, it's when we're strong." Yeah, yeah. Being vulnerable, I think, is a superpower. How so? It's a superpower. Acknowledging that I don't. Hey, look, I don't trust myself. I'm weak. I need your help. I need you, my brother. David, I need you to be in prayer with me, connecting with other people. These are the things that I think we as a people need to do, especially in the church. In the church, it's not even permissible to admit that you got a problem. No way. Like people, people, people have scandalized my name because I've gone out and done this. And I'm not saying everybody should do what I'm doing in terms yeah. of telling their story. Yeah. But I know the scripture says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, right? And by the word of their testimony. That's good. And so, look, man, part of my recovery, part of my victory and my freedom is I got to tell that thing, man, because, man, mold only grows in darkness. When you put light on it, it can't grow no more. He doesn't want us to see that he's not mad at us. He's madly in love with us. And so for the person out there right now that feels that they got to get themselves together, if they want to come to Christ, I want to tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell. If you could get yourself together, then we need to be praying to you. We need to be worshiping you. Yeah. We need to be lifting hands to you. Right. We come just as we are because there is no other way to come. Yeah, that's good. You don't have to get better. He gets us better. And that's what he wants us to do. You know, he said, those are your sins be a scarlet. All I got is word, man. Those yeah. your sins yeah. be I love a scarlet. It. He says, come unto me. Let us reason together. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Come. He said, come to me. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's Bible. And I think if we start feeding our heads with the word and not church tradition yeah. and not culture, but the word. I mean, we, we, we will see God in a whole different light. That's incredible, man. What do you feel like God is telling you at this season of your life that you could share with our community? Growth. 
growth, growth, growth. Matter of fact, that's going to be the theme for our preaching and teaching series next year at our church. The Lord is telling me, to, and, I, and I feel like the Lord is encouraging me to share with others that we need to embrace a growth mindset. There's two kinds of mindsets we can have. We can have a fixed mindset, which is a mindset that's resistant to change, that's resistant to chastening by the Lord. This is the suffering, resistance to, to learning and improvement and growth, being in the crucible. We can have a fixed mindset. Or we can have a growth mindset. A growth mindset says that whatever God wants to do in my life, you know, I'm here for it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm here for it. I'm here because I'm here to grow and I'm not going to be overly hard on myself. There's no such thing really for me as failure. There's nothing but learning experiences and, and growing and developing. And I'm committed to that, even to the hard stuff. I don't mind being uncomfortable because I know uncomfortable creates growth. I don't mind weights because I know weights going to make me stronger. I don't mind. I don't, I don't mind people talking about me because how else am I going to learn how to love people unless I have some enemies in which I can, you know what I'm saying? So I'm learning to put all things are working together for my good into perspective. And so I believe that there are two kinds of people in the, in the last days. Okay. Those that's going to be saved, those will be lost. Who are they? It's quite simple. Those that are willing for the Holy spirit to do whatever he wants in their life. Hmm. and those that are resistant to it, those who don't want no change. They want tradition. They want a rigidity. They want things to go as they've always gone. They're comfortable where they are. They're satisfied where they are. Wow. They, they, they just they have become self-righteous. They become know-it-alls, and they become comfortable. That's one group. They can't handle the Holy Ghost. Come on now. Come on now, brother. That's where we're going with this thing. Okay. Yeah. And then there's another group. There's another group. They're like, have thine own way, Lord. Whatever you want to do, wherever you want me to go, however you're trying to stretch me, I'm not going to fight you. Uh, I, I mean, I may fight you, but I'm going to let you win. You know what I'm saying? I might be like Jacob, but by the time I get up, I'm going to be cool with having a limp because I know that I'm better with a limp. I know I'll be saved with a limp, and I may not be saved if I don't got one because I'm willing to let, and that's what, I mean, I'm telling you, man, there's so many people right now that listen to this, and they think that, that I'm talking to old people. Not at all. They think I'm talking about the old conservative church people. There's a lot of young folk that are resistant to the, the move of the spirit of God in their life. They're resistant to change. Wow. And, and you can't grow in God and not be open to change. That's good. Either you're growing or you're dying. Growth. Growth. We're going to end off the year going into 2020 with a growth mindset. All right, man. So we're going to wrap this up. November slash December, your new book, The Frustrated Leader, will be out and available on Amazon, Kindle, and everywhere books are sold. Could you let us know your social media and where we could find you? Follow me at um, It's Myron Live. That's I-T-S-M-Y-R-O-N-L-I-V-E. You can follow me there. You get all the updates about what's going on. Yes. Um, as well, you can be on my email list as well. And, uh, you know, you can, that can connect on there. Facebook, I'm there as well. Myron Evans on Facebook. I have my public page. That's my personal page as well. You can follow me there. And then for those of you who are interested specifically in the book, The Frustrated Leader, we started an on a Facebook co- a group and community. Perfect. And uh, you can find that The Frustrated Leader book uh, group with Myron Edmonds. Go right there on Facebook. The Frustrated Leader group book. Uh, book group yes. um, is a community where we're just, uh, you know, just supporting each other. And giving updates about when the book's coming out. We're going to also have a workbook that comes out. And there's going to be an online course uh, to follow in 2020. So, yeah. Man, that's good stuff, yo. Praying much success on the book release. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Uh, Thank you so, so much again for being on the show, man. Yes, sir. My phone has officially been tapped. What's up, guys? It's three-time NFL Pro Bowler, 2020 Hall of Fame nominee, Josh Cribs. I want to give a huge shout-out 
to my man, Dr. Myron Edmonds. Yes, indeed. How you doing, Pastor? Listen, I first thank you for all the community service that you do. And your man, David, the psalmist, he wants you to know he appreciate from the bottom of his heart for you coming on his podcast and blessing him with your presence on that end. But we got to talk about the Browns. Now, I know you are a fan of me, you know, but you're a Cowboys fan? Come on, Pastor. Look, I got a Bible over here. I know it's something in the Bible against it. Come on now. Let me see. He shall not, you know, root for the boys, the stars. You can't be rooting for the stars. I'm from Washington, D.C. I hate the, I, with a passion, I hate the Cowboys, Pastor. Now, you're going to have to pray for me now. Look, I'm, I'm going, I'm going, listen, I'm on my way to church. And, but you're going to have to pray for me, man, because I'm having a tough time swallowing this pill now. I'm just messing with you, Pastor. Listen, man, my mom's a pastor, so I have a lot of fun with her. Um, thank you so much again for all the work that you do in the community. And uh, your man, David, wanted me to <laughs> kind of mess with you on that end. So listen, I appreciate you, man, from the bottom of my heart, all the community service. Continue to be that example. But I don't have to tell you that, man. Look, he's a big, thank you for being a big fan. Your man Dave is a big fan of you. He want, he just want to let you know he appreciates you coming on the podcast. I appreciate you too. So listen, don't forget, go dogs. Yo, what up? It's your boy Psalmist. The phone tap audio experience was put together and produced entirely by me. If you enjoyed the conversation, remember to leave a review and rate on iTunes. Download it on Spotify. It really helps like a lot. For more and to stay updated, follow me on Instagram at Psalms by David. See you next week.